Praise the Lord. So I've been talking about the love of God. The first session, I just tried to emphasize how important it is to operate in love, that it's not optional. You've got to have not only God's love working in you, but through you to other people. And if you don't make it a priority, it won't work. It doesn't come naturally. You have to pursue this. Then yesterday morning, I began to talk about how you can't give away what you don't have. And so before you can start flowing in God's kind of love to other people, you really have to experience God's love. And a lot of people say, oh, they know that God loves them, and yet they're still depressed and discouraged and bitter and angry and fearful and all of these kind of things. Perfect love cast out fear. If you are a person that's tormented by fear, you can say that you have a revelation of God's love, but you don't. Perfect love would cast out fear. And so I talked about that yesterday morning. Last night I began to talk about uh, if all these things are true, if you understand how important love is and if you've really experienced God's love, well, then it'd be easy to love people if it wasn't for people. Amen. But we live in a corrupted world and people are going to do things wrong and people are going to rub you the wrong way. And so uh, once a problem has happened and once there is a broken relationship or a strained relationship, How do you deal with it? How do you walk in love? And so last night I started talking about there are four possibilities as to why you have problems in relationships. And all we talked about last night was number one. I got stuck on that. And I really emphasize this because I believe that when you have trouble in a relationship, your first thought ought to be, is it me? And usually that's a last thought or a thought that people don't even have. We're quick to blame everybody else. And our society has just become masters of passing the buck and refusing to accept responsibility. So I spent a lot of time on that. I got so much that I want to say this week that I'm going to have to speed up. I can't spend a whole session on number two today. So I'm going to have to speed up, but I don't want to go so fast that I don't share some of these things because I think that they're really important. I think that last night what I shared is really, really important in relationships. We use primarily Matthew chapter 7 where it says, don't try and cast the little speck out of another person's eye if you haven't first taken the beam out of your own eye. And I tell you, what great advice and what seldom followed advice uh, we have. And if people would just take that one thing, that would solve a lot of problems. I also talked about how that we sometimes take offense when no offense is intended. And because of our own hurt and stuff, We just are offended when nobody even intended to offend us. And there's just some people that are hard keepers. That's a term that I used when I had horses. And uh, those of you that have horses may understand what I'm talking about. But you got some animals, like I had this one horse, that you could starve that horse to death. And it would fall over dead and still look well fed. It just always was a good looking horse. It never got skinny. It never got poor looking. It just was what we call an easy keeper. And then there were other horses that you could grain them, you could give them everything that you possibly could, and they just always look poor. They're what's called a hard keeper. It just takes a lot of maintenance for some animals, and other animals seem to just always look good. Well, there are some people that, you know what, they're just low-maintenance people. And then there's other people that are high-maintenance people. There are some people that are just offended all of the time And you need to make sure that you aren't one of these high-maintenance people 
that is just easily offended and that you aren't causing a lot of this rejection and things that you're dealing with. So that's what we talked about last night. So that was the number one option. I think that's the first thing you need to look at when you have problems. Is it you? Here's another possibility that it's the other person who's the problem and that you don't have a problem. It's the other person. Now, that's the one that most people would put first on the list. That's what we always think. It's not me. It's them. But you know what? I didn't list that first because I believe that you ought to always, always, always evaluate, is it you? And um, I really need to balance some of the things I said last night, but in a sense, it is balanced because we're so out of balance thinking everybody else is the problem that we just don't even consider ourselves. But... um, you need to evaluate that. I know that in my personal relationship with Jamie, we got a great relationship. But you know what? Uh, two people live together. There's going to be times that she does things that I don't like. And you know what? I've learned that this is what I do. Is Father, I don't like you know some of the things that she said or done, but I always go back. Is it me? And usually I find out that, you know what, I've been uh, neglecting our family. I've been doing something. And that there's usually reasons. And it's never just one side of the issue. So you have to evaluate, is it you? But then you also look and say, is it the other person? And if it's the other person, you need to be honest enough and secure enough to be able to say that, you know what, I'm not at fault in this situation. It's the other person. Sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Let me take a scripture out of Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. I think I referred to this yesterday, but anyway, I need to... Mention this, Romans chapter 12, and in verse 18 it says, If it be, well, let me read the context of this because it's really good if you get the context. In verse uh, 16 it says, Be ye of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Boy, that's important. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, there's a lot in those passages of verses. But I just wanted to point out in verse 18, it says, If it be possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. The way that that's stated, that shows you that it's not possible to live peaceably with all men. You know, when I first got started in ministry, I was under the false impression that if I just walked in love properly, and if I did the right thing, and if I turned the other cheek, that love would always, always, always win people over. And you know what? There's probably people in this room that think that. And there's probably some of you that are under guilt and condemnation thinking that if I was just the husband I was supposed to be, if I was the wife I was supposed to be, if I was the parent I was supposed to be, then all of these situations would work out. And because somebody is in strife and things are happening, you're sitting there assuming responsibility for that. And you know what? That is not right. That's not right. The supreme example on this is Jesus. Jesus is love. God is love. Jesus 
was God's love gift to the world. And Jesus operated in love like no one else on the face of the earth has ever operated in love. He's our example of love. He's the one that told us to turn the other cheek. And yet Jesus had lots of people mad at him. Jesus had tremendous rejection and persecution. And you know what? It wasn't Jesus' fault. And there's even things that Jesus said that got people mad at him. There's things that he could have done that would have stopped some of the criticism. Like, for instance, I think of the instance where Nicodemus, he was a leader of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and he was the one that came to Jesus by night, and Jesus told him about being born again. And so Nicodemus was favorable towards Jesus, and I believe was a secret disciple of Jesus. And when the Pharisees were holding a council, how they could kill Jesus, Nicodemus spoke up and stood up for Jesus. Did I say that right? Nicodemus spoke up for Jesus and defended him and said, do we judge any man before we hear him? And you know what they said? They said, you go study the scriptures because out of Nazareth arises no prophet. And what they were referring to was that the scriptures made it very clear that the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem. Did you know Jesus could have solved this problem? Jesus could have explained to them, Hey, I grew up in Nazareth, but I was born in Bethlehem. I spent two years in Egypt so that this scripture could have been fulfilled. He could have explained this whole thing, and yet he didn't. See, there's a balance here. Some people get to thinking that, man, it's my responsibility to make everybody love me. Can't happen. It isn't going to happen. And Jesus, there was things that he could have done relatively easy that would have stopped some people's criticism of him, and yet he didn't do it. He gave enough information. He certainly manifested the power of God. He operated in love towards people. I believe that he gave people plenty of uh, information and enough power manifest for them to recognize who he was, but ultimately he didn't bend over backwards just to please everybody else. I've seen some people that are... I hate to use this term, but it's exactly what comes to mind. It's very descriptive. Who are men pleasers. They are out to make everybody love them. And it's just paramount that they they just can't bear the thought that somebody is upset with them. And I tell you, that's bondage. It's bondage. It's wrong. It says a fear of man brings a snare. And if you're a person... I'm going to use this term just because most people are exposed to psychology and they relate to this. But if you are codependent upon the approval of anybody, whether it's your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your authority figure in your life, your co-workers or whoever it is, if you have to have other people's approval and constant affirmation about, you know, that you're okay and stuff, that is a position of weakness and bondage. Thank you for that thunderous silence. It usually goes over about that way because, see, most people, this is where they live. I'm not saying that you don't have good relationships with other people, but I'm saying that really you ought to be to where you and God alone is sufficient. The fact that God loves you is enough, and if nobody else loved you, you could stand on that. Jesus literally lived that because he preached this message where people thought he was talking of cannibalism and they said, you're telling us to eat your flesh and drink your blood. He didn't explain it. He just made it stronger. And the people left him. These were people that had seen him feed the 5,000 
with the five loaves and two fish. And the next day they came and found him and they wanted to make him king. Thousands of people were so impressed. And he says, you aren't seeking me because your heart's right. You're seeking me because your bellies are full and you see me as a way of getting what you want. And he began, this is when he began to start speaking, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. These were people that wanted to make him king 20 minutes before. And he started preaching to them and got them so offended that it says the entire multitude forsook him and fled. Thousands of people left during one of his messages. And how did he respond? He could have explained it. He could have said, guys, you're misunderstanding. You're thinking I'm talking about eating physical flesh. I'm talking in a spiritual sense. He could have explained it, but he didn't say a word. And all of these people left. And then he turned around to his disciples and he says, will you also leave me? There's the door. Y'all want to leave? Anybody here want out? Now's the time. Boy, how different than all of us who are just so dependent upon what does everybody think about me? What is er does everybody love me? Again, there's a balance. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Jesus loved the world so much that he died for them. He bore our sins. Jesus is the greatest example of love that the world has ever had, but that does not mean that he was so dependent upon people accepting him and receiving his love that if they didn't receive him, he wouldn't be able to function. And I bet you there's people right here in this room, just because I deal with a lot of people, that that's exactly where you are. You want to believe in love and you want reconciliation because you can't live without it. You need to get to a place to where, just like Jesus, you are pleasing your Father. You're saying what your Father says. And if following God and loving God and serving God cost you a friendship, causes somebody to be offended at you or whatever, you're fine because God is sufficient. God is enough. And then you go out and reach out to other people in love, not because you have to have it, but because you want to reach out to people. You, you do it because of the blessing you can be to them, not because you are dependent upon them. If you don't have the right motivation in trying to reconcile and have friends and stuff, if you're doing it out of desperation because you are codependent, you've got to have people loving you, then you know what? You actually will push people away. You'll come on too strong. You'll come across desperate. I know some of you, I'm saying things, it's a new wrinkle in your brain. You've never thought like this before. And it may be a little hard for you to grab, but I bet you every one of you have seen this. Somebody who just comes on too strong. With me, you know, I have people who've watched my programs and listened to my tapes and stuff, and so they know a lot about me, and they just love me, and they have been blessed, and they come up and they want to be my best friend within five minutes. They want me to tell them, I want you to just tell me everything. I want to pray for you. And you know what? I, my natural reaction is just to push them away. Like, you've got to build a relationship. It's not going to happen. I, you aren't going to become my best friend by tomorrow. I don't care how much you've heard from me. I don't know you. And when you come on that strong, people push you away. And did you know sometimes the people who feel all this rejection, you know why you're feeling it? Because you are so desperate for it. You're smothering people. They know that if they open up and start becoming your friend, that you're going to suck the life out of them, that you're going to be one of these high maintenance, hard keepers, that it's impossible to maintain the relationship. And so they wind up turning away from you, not even recognizing, not always processing this, but it's just they know that it's going to be a problem to be around you. 
That's true. So, here's my point is, you need to see, are you the problem? But sometimes you need to recognize that, you know what? I am not the problem. The other person has the problem. And you have to be content enough to recognize that, you know what, I may not be able to fix this. Now, as I go through this tonight, I'm going to start talking about how do you start trying to reconcile things. And so that's another thing. But I'm still on the deal of evaluating what the problem is. Right now, you need to recognize that sometimes you have nothing to do with this. That people get offended not always because of something that you do. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with them. And so that is a potential. You cannot live peaceably with all men. Not everybody is going to want to live in peace. And you need to recognize that and you need to come to grips with it. You need to have realistic expectations. If you think that you just living right is going to make everybody love you, I don't know how you've lived this long. I don't know how you've lived to adulthood. You should have come through this already. But there are some people that are still deceived thinking that if you just do everything right, everybody's going to love you and that's just not right. Jesus said, Beware when all men speak well of you, for so spoke they of the prophets that were before you. And especially when you factor into this the Christian thing and that you're standing for godliness and morality, did you know that this increases the potential of rejection. Jesus said, well, there's so many places. Jesus said, you know, that you will suffer persecution. It says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, this was the Apostle Paul speaking, and he said, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The only reason you won't be persecuted is if you don't live godly. If you're ungodly, you may not get persecuted. But if you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both going the same direction. (laughs) You turn around and start going against the stream and you are going to be persecuted. And so if you are under the deception of when we talk about love and if you operate in love that everybody's going to love you, you're wrong. You can love everybody regardless of what they do. Jesus even said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do to the very people crucifying him. You can love the people that are crucifying you. You can love the people that hate you. But you are absolutely mistaken if you think that by you loving other people, everybody is going to love you. You need to come to grips with that there are going to be people who hate you. People who dislike you, especially for your Christian witness. And I tell you, there's a lot of people that just never have accepted this. They are still under that deception. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you have wrong expectations and goals, if you think that if I just do everything right, I can make my mate love me and be the perfect mate, I can make this happen, then I guarantee you, you are going to be heart sick. That's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. That is a misunderstanding and misrepresentation of spiritual truth. So you've got to recognize that sometimes it may not be you. Sometimes it's the other person. And here's the third possibility. The third possibility is it could be both of you. And that's probably 90% of the time what the problem is. It's not usually a one-sided thing, especially if this isn't just a random encounter or something like that, but if it's a relationship over a period of time, you're going to do some things wrong. 
You know, last night I was preaching and I was using illustrations and, and I did some things wrong. I just, you know, I used an example of a guy who was here in the service. It's wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Me and my big mouth. I'm wrong. It was true what I said. Amen. <laughs> I was using an example, but you know what? I didn't mean to offend anybody, and I didn't even talk to him. I don't know for sure that he is offended, but you know what? I, you, I, you do things wrong. I, in an effort to get my point across, and you might think, well, boy, that's terrible. I had three other great examples that I was going to use, and I decided not to do it because I knew I'd offend people with that. So <laughs> I ex- exercised a little bit of restraint, just not enough restraint. You know, I do things wrong. You know, I'm a practical joker, and I love to pull tricks on people. And one time I pulled a trick on Jill LeBlanc back there, and I hurt Jill and offended her. And I didn't intend anything wrong, but you know what? I went and apologized to Jill, and I said, you know what? I thought it was funny, but if you don't think it was funny, it wasn't funny. And I had to apologize and praise God that Jill's mature enough that she forgave me, and we still got a great relationship. But you know what? You make mistakes, and I don't intend to do it, but I offend people without even knowing it. You know, I love Jamie, and Jamie and I were supernaturally put together by God. I mean, it is just God that put us together. There's probably not another woman on the face of the earth that would have survived what I have put Jamie through, and Jamie has never griped or complained. I love Jamie, but you know what? I don't please Jamie all the time. I rub her the wrong way, not because I intend to. It's just because I'm a person, and sometimes I think about myself and don't think about her. There's times that she rubs me the wrong way, and it has nothing really to do with her. So it doesn't have to be malicious, intending to hurt. You just are going to have problems when you are with people because people are sinful. People are fallen. And even those of us that have been born again, we aren't 100% pure Holy Ghost. you got a physical body and a soul, and you're going to make mistakes. And so, the point that I'm making here is that, you know what, very seldom is it just one person. Most of the time, it's a combination of both. It's probably we were neglecting something, we were being foolish, we were... uh, occupied with something else, if we would have been thinking of the other person, you know, we would have responded differently. We wouldn't have uh, done some of these things. And so you have to evaluate this. And this is going to be really important when I get to how do you fix the problem. It's very important if both of you are at fault in this. That's going to be an important part of you solving the problem. You have to rightly diagnose what the problem is. And then here's the fourth thing. And I'm going to spend some time on this, and this might surprise some of you, but you know what? It could be God that's causing the break in the relationship. And some of you might think, well, God would never cause any problems in relationships. He wants us to get along in love. Well, it's not God that causes hatred and things like that. I'll grant you that. But the script, there's many scriptures that talk about, come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. What fellowship hath Christ with Belial? What concord hath he that believes with an infidel? Those are out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As a matter of fact, let me just turn over and read some of these scriptures because we need to look at this. You need to look at these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse um, 14. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. These scriptures are talking about that there are some relationships that God does not want us to have. And I believe that just as a parent and child, it's not that you hate anybody else's kids, but you know what? If you have your kids playing with somebody else, as kids, and they are all, you know, they drink, they cuss, they do dope. All of their values are different than what the values are that you're trying to instill into your children. I guarantee you, most of you would sit there and say, you know, we aren't against them. But you aren't an adult yet. It's not time for you to go out and evangelize the world. You need to withdraw. You don't need to be in a home where you're seeing uh, people drink and do dope and do things like this. You don't want your children to be under that influence. And so it's not that you tell them that these other kids are terrible, I, you hate them and don't love them. That's not right. But at the same time, you would want your children to separate from an ungodly influence. Well, it's the same thing with God. I believe that God sometimes will cause relationships to go sour. And that is a factor. And that is a potential. And you have, to, you have to think about that and consider it. Now, there's a balance to this. Don't think, oh, man, I like this. Because you know what? I think my relationship with my wife has gone sour. And I, I need to go get another one. <laughs> now I know it's God that caused this. No, God's Word is a supreme test. You have to submit everything to the Word of God. You know, Sharon was quoting that scripture from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and morals, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know how you discern whether these thoughts are from God or not? The Word of God is the standard that you put it all up by. And so if you're thinking, oh man, I think it's God that caused my relationship with my mate to go sour because I need to go get another one. That doesn't fit up against the Word of God. That doesn't... that doesn't conform to it. And so that's not true. But I'm saying that there are examples where God caused relationships. He separated people for their own good. You know, in my own personal life, I can give you a testimony about this. When I first got turned on to the Lord, uh, I had two people in my life who agreed with me out of the known universe. Everybody else thought I was of the devil. And I mean, I was being persecuted big time. But Joe Nay and Steve Mock, Joe Nay was 20 years older than me. He's the guy that Wendell referred to earlier. And uh, Steve Mock was my good friend. These two guys, we just nearly lived together. I mean, we were together nearly all day, every day. And, you know, I was single at the time. And I didn't even realize the imposition I was making on Joe and his wife and his daughter and stuff. But I was over there day and night. And eventually, Joanne, his wife, told me to buzz off and get out of their life. And I didn't understand it. Uh, Now I understand it, but I didn't understand it then. But anyway, 
we were just so close that, I mean, Joe, and we, we lived together. I was over at his house. I'd walk into his house and say hi and go into the refrigerator and just start cleaning it out. I mean, you know, I just like I was one of their kids. And um, so anyway, that's the way it was. And then I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And when I came back from Vietnam, one of the things that was so exciting to me was I was finally going to get back and see Joe and Steve again. And I was just, man, that's one of the things that kept me going in Vietnam because I didn't have a single bit of Christian fellowship. Nobody, I never fellowshiped with another Christian except ones that I led to the Lord. And they were all so immature that it wasn't really building me up. It was all me giving out. And so... I was really looking forward to getting back. I mean, the first thing I did when I hit home was go over to Joe Nay's house and he met me and said hi to me and welcomed me in. And in five minutes, you could tell he was ready for me to go. And man, it just hurt me terribly. And it wasn't that Joe intended it. It wasn't him that was wrong. But you know what? They had gone on. It had been two years and they had gone on in their life and in other things and they were still friendly to me, but it was just different. Same thing happened with Steve, my best friend. You know, he got involved. He got married before I did and that ended that relationship. And you know what? At the time, I thought that was terrible. And man, I spent a lot of time praying, trying to get these relationships back to where they were supposed to be. I wanted to be best friends again with both of them, and it, despite everything that I did, it just didn't work out. And in hindsight, retrospect, did you know I can look and see that that was God? It was God that sent me to Vietnam, and I had become so codependent upon those people, I honestly didn't have my own opinion. We would find something in Scripture, and first thing I'd do is take it over to Joe and Steve, and we'd talk about it and pray, and it was our group opinion that formed all of my doctrines and theology and stuff like this. I wasn't standing in my own personal relationship with God. And when I got to Vietnam, man, I grew tremendously just because I was isolated. I think that that was God that got me over there. And then when I came back, these relationships, as much as I tried to make them work, I couldn't make them work. And we still love each other to this day. I could call Steve or Joe and we still love each other. But you know what? It's just different. And I've had this happen at other times. I've got people that at one time we were so close with them that you just wonder how in the world you ever survive without these friends. And yet in most cases, I mean, we're still all friends. None of us have ever broken off and we now hate each other. It's not that kind of thing. But it's just we move on in our relationships And now some of these people that we used to see all day, every day, I might see once a year and call them occasionally and do things like that. And you know what? I came to realize that that was God. And I won't go into any detail, but there were things that happened in Joe's life. And he was the one that was in the driver's seat. He was the one that was influencing me. I wasn't influencing him. There's things that happened in his life that if I would have still been under his uh, authority and still following him and still being his disciples, you know what, I would have gone into major problems. Joe actually got out of the ministry and crashed and burned for a period of time. And God saved me from that by breaking off that relationship. So here's here's one of my points. Is it you that's causing the problem? Is it the other person that caused the problem? Is it both of you? Or you also have to recognize, you know, it may just be that God is not wanting you to build three tabernacles and dwell in this place forever. That's what 
Peter wanted to do when they saw Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. He wanted to build a tabernacle and camp there forever. And Jesus said, no, we got to go down off this mountain. And you had to go down and minister to the people. You know, we see this in the Bible college. And as far as I'm aware, every Bible college I'm aware of, Christ for the Nations, Rhema, it's been the same thing. People come from all these different backgrounds. They come, they sit under the Word. God is changing their life. They make these awesome friendships. Tremendous things happen. And it's amazing how many people stay right there instead of going back out and ministering to people. And some of that, you know, is not wrong because like we have, I don't know what percentage, 60, 70% of our staff is all from people who've gone through our Bible school. And so there's reasons. They're in ministry and they're doing things. But you know what? There's a lot of people that just honestly, this is where their friends are. And so they just build, they want to build three tabernacles and just stay here until Jesus comes and enjoy things and let the rest of the world go to hell. And that's not what has to happen. And so sometimes the Lord will just take His anointing, His blessing away. I don't believe that God ever causes you to hate people and causes, uh, you know, problems. But the Lord, you just lose the anointing on things because God is wanting you to move on. You need to move on. It's not good for you to live there forever. Maybe for a period of time this was really... Uh, instrumental in your growth in your Christian life. But eventually you just have to go on. And that is a real possibility. And you have to evaluate that when you're trying to reconcile things. Sometimes God may not want you to reconcile. Sometimes you just need to admit. Now I've been talking about in a positive sense. But sometimes there are negative relationships. Sometimes you have made a mistake in the relationships that you've chosen. And regardless of how much you want those relationships to work, it's not God's will for that relationship to work. You can still love that person and you can still love them from afar, but you know what? God does not want you to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Maybe you got into a business deal and you're thinking, if I just walk in love, why are are we having these problems? Maybe if I just love them a little bit more, if I do this, it'll work. Well, you need to evaluate. Is it you? Is it them that's the problem? Is it both of you? But you also have to consider it could be God that didn't want you there. Maybe you were just supposed to be there for a period of time and God is wanting to move you on. I don't think that most people consider this. Most people just kind of think that I can make anything work if I really operate in the love of God. And again, I refer back to Jesus. Jesus is a supreme example and Jesus couldn't make people love Him. People hated Him. And He said that you are also going to be hated. Let me use some scriptures here to share uh, a little bit on persecution. I wrote a bunch of these out. In uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 25 it says, "...it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master." And the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? If Jesus was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. And you know what? Something is really wrong with you if you can be around ungodly and have them just love you and embrace you totally as if you were one of their own. Now again, I'm not saying that the ungodly ought to hate you. There's scriptures that talk about that a, a person who's going to be an elder of a church needs to have a good report of them that are without. I believe that there's unbelievers who respect me and they know that I love them and that we have a friendship to a degree. But I can guarantee you there isn't, there isn't any ungodly 
unbelievers who would look at me as their best friend because I'm in Christ and they aren't. They reject the very thing that is the core of my being. And what fellowship hath Christ with them? Jesus, He was gracious and kind unto unbelievers and He went in and ate with people that the religious people rejected. I'm not talking about being religious and holier than thou and nobody's up to your standards. But I am saying that you, there should be a difference between you and, and if Jesus was called Beelzebub by people and rejected, and if they're rejecting Jesus, then how in the world can they accept you if Jesus is shining forth in your life? It's just not going to happen. I heard a story once about a woman whose little kid wanted to go to some kind of like a Boy Scout camp or something, some secular camp. And it was the first time he had ever gotten involved in any of these secular things. He had always gone out with church people before. And so she was real worried about it and talked to him about it and what to do if people made fun of him for being a Christian and all this stuff. And anyway, he sent him to camp. He was gone for a week. She prayed the whole time for him while he was gone. And when he got back, she was asking him how it went. And she, he was telling her about riding horses and riding in canoes and swimming and doing all of these things that they did. And she says... So did anybody make fun of you or persecute you for being a Christian? And she said, oh, no, Mom, nobody ever found out. <laughs> That's a bad thing. You know what? They ought to know. And if you are truly living for the Lord, I guarantee you, you'll stand out like a healed thumb. You just won't fit in with the world. And I've already used 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners. If you think that, oh, I can, I can go fellowship with these people and it's not going to be a problem with me, I'm just helping them. You're deceived. Evil communication, and communication here is not only talking about words, it's talking about lifestyle, way of living. Uh, it corrupts good manners. I don't know exactly why this is, but you know what? You don't ever take a a good apple and put it in with rotten apples and it makes the rotten ones become good. It doesn't work that way. It seems like rottenness passes from one to the other, but goodness doesn't pass from one to the other. You don't catch health, you catch sickness. It's easier to get sick than it is to be well. It's easier to become negative than it is to be positive. Your associations are one of the most important things that's ever going to happen in your life. And not only for your benefit, but just if you are truly living a godly life, people who are ungodly are going to have problems with you. They may respect you to a degree, but they aren't going to be your best friends. And so you may be trying to make some relationships work that God isn't wanting to work. If you go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, one of the most common application of those scriptures where it says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers is talking about marriage. And I believe that that is an accurate assessment, that you should not be marrying somebody out of the faith. If you're going to marry a person who isn't born again, then I guarantee you it is totally flesh that is bringing you together because if you were living from your spirit... If it was your born-again self that was attracting you to that person, I guarantee you there wouldn't be any communion. There wouldn't be any common ground between a person who's a believer and an unbeliever. You are coming together on solely, to, uh, uh, soulish, carnal terms. Everybody understand that? 
And so let's say that some believer is quote-unquote in love with an unbeliever. You know what? I believe God will make that relationship go sour. I believe God will bring up every uh, difference between the two of you in an attempt to try and break you out of your deception and get you to a place to where you realize that this is not the person for me. God could be the one that was behind the uh, relationship not working. And yet a lot of people are just persisting and pushing through and thinking everything will work. You know, this is a little off the subject, but this is just a practical piece of wisdom that I've learned in counseling a lot of people. If you don't get along before you get married, it's going to be worse after you get married. If the courtship is bad, the marriage is going to be terrible. So, you know what, if it's not working out, don't force it. Don't try and make this thing work. Take that as a sign that God is not making this thing work out. And so somebody, this raises a question, well then, so do we just go live in monasteries and totally separate ourselves from other people? Certainly not. You're the salt of the earth. You aren't going to be able to salt the earth if you don't get out of the salt shaker. You, you have to have exposure with other people. So how do you judge this? How do I know whether they're, you know, whether it's a good exposure? How do I know all of these kind of things? Man, here's a real simple passage of scripture over in uh, Acts chapter, let me find this. Acts chapter 19, I won't give you the whole deal here. I've got to hurry up and finish. But in Acts chapter 19 is where Paul went to uh, Ephesus, I believe is where this was. And when he was in the synagogue, he went into the synagogue and preached for a number of uh, Sabbaths in a row. Now the synagogue was different than our churches today in the sense that synagogues didn't have a preacher who stood up here and always ran the service and controlled it. Synagogues, they would come together and they had somebody who read scripture, but then it was open for the people to stand up and give an exhortation and to talk about God and give their opinion. And it was kind of a public forum, a public discussion. So the synagogues allowed people to speak. And especially if you were a visiting rabbi or, you know, minister, you could come in and they would allow, they would give you freedom to speak. So when Paul went into the synagogue, it was a natural fit because they were, these were Jews waiting for the Messiah and he came in and started telling them that I found the Messiah and started proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And they allowed him to do that for a number of weeks. But when people started uh, repenting and coming to the Lord and being converted to Christianity, then the leader of the synagogue got jealous of this and he started speaking openly against what Paul was preaching. And look at this verse in Acts chapter 19, I believe it is, verse 8. It says, uh, Paul went into the synagogue when he... Um, excuse me, that's my writing. Yeah, I know, but I was going to read you my quote. I wanted to read the scripture. I'm going to have to turn over here and read this. Acts chapter 19, and in verse... Uh, Eight, it says, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitudes, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so here's Jesus. He went into the synagogue, which was an ungodly, in a sense. I know that they were religious, and they may have, some of them there might have been seeking the true God, but they weren't believers. 
But he went in because he had the ability to influence them. But when people begin to start speaking against it, the people in the leadership, then this is scriptural precedent for him taking the disciples and separating them from that ungodly criticism. And he started meeting in this uh, uh, different venue, uh, not a synagogue, but a school. And he started meeting there, and they did that for two years. So to me, this sets a precedent. How do you know whether your association with the ungodly is a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it basically boils down to this. Are you influencing them, or are they influencing you? If you are in a position to where you can influence them... You know, if somebody... I was invited to speak at Billy Bob's in Texas, this famous bar where they have, you know, the bronc riding and all these things go on. They they close that every once in a while, and they have a minister come in, and they have a service. And, you know, some people thought, how dare you go in there? Well, it didn't work out. It didn't fit my schedule. But you know what? I'd have gone and spoken in a bar if they'll let me preach the gospel. I don't care. I don't care where it is. I'm not... Uh, you know, I'm not of the kind that you, you know, you get tainted or stained if you go in there. That's not what I'm talking about. I used to go into bars and preach to people and stuff. So I'd go into a bar and preach to them as long as I was influencing them. But you know what? I wouldn't go into a bar and sit down just hoping that somebody would come over and talk to me or, or something like that. For one thing, it's not a good witness. Other thing, I'm going to be exposed to things I shouldn't be exposed to. I know that I had one guy that came and stayed with me and he felt God called him to go into topless bars and minister to the strippers. And we had quite a discussion about this and I told him, I don't think this is God. Oh, who's going to reach him if I don't do it? And he did, anyway, he did that for a year or two and after his divorce, he finally quit that. It didn't work. They were influencing him. You know, there is a right and a wrong way to expose yourself to other people. So I'm not saying that we pull into monasteries and that you don't ever go out and try and, uh, you know, influence uh, unbelievers. I'm not saying that if your neighbor is an unbeliever that you won't talk to him because he's an unbeliever and you might be tainted. That's not what I'm talking about. You need to maintain relationships. We need to reach out to people that are unbelievers. If there's people at work that aren't Christians, man, I would extend... Friendship towards them. I'd start trying to love those people. I mentioned this the other day. You first of all need to win the people to yourself before you win them to the Lord. I am not rude and mean and standoffish to unbelievers. Man, you need to be around them. There needs to be some association. But I am uh, quick to evaluate whether they are influencing me or if I'm influencing them. If I can influence them... I'll go into bars and minister. I'll go anywhere and minister. I'll be in an ungodly situation and I'll talk to people. I don't care what's going on. None of those things bother me as long as I am the one that's impacting them and they aren't impacting me. But if you get into a situation to where you, for whatever reason, cannot speak into that situation and instead they are influencing you, you're going to find out that sometimes God will be the one that is causing these relationships, the job to go sour because He wants you out of that place and He will lift His grace on you to be able to survive in that situation. And if you take these things that we're talking about, walking in love and just think that, man, if I walk in love, everybody's going to love me, well, then you're putting yourself better than Jesus because Jesus walked in love and everybody didn't love Him. 
there was persecution. He warned us, beware when all men speak well of you. If they've persecuted the master of the house, they're going to persecute you. If they've called me Beelzebub, they're going to call you Beelzebub. So you need to have realistic expectations. And you need to recognize that you just can't make it work with every single person. And you know, personally, in my life, uh, when I, there's some people that I'd love to have relationships with. People that I think could influence me in a positive way. And there's some people that I've prayed that God would open up the doors for me to become friends with these people. But you know, I, I understand that I always, I don't know everything that's going on. I'm only seeing on the surface and I just don't force it. I could force it. There have been some people who've called me and said, you know, we need to get together and I'll try and get with them and I'll even pray about it. I've left messages and stuff and if it just doesn't seem to be working, you know what, I don't kick the door down. Because I'm aware that sometimes it just could be God that's not making it work. And so that's kind of a philosophy that I live by. And, you know, God has blessed me. God's brought me in contact with some supernatural people. I've got some great relationships and stuff. And you need to recognize that God needs to be involved in your relationships. And sometimes uh, you just can't make them work because it's not ordained of God to make those relationships work. Amen? Tonight, what I'm going to start doing is talking about once you evaluate what the problem is, now how do you fix it? But you've got to evaluate and you've got to rule these things out. You've got to make sure that it's not God who's causing the relationship to go sour because if it is, you aren't going to fix that. All you're going to do is get in trouble. So it's important that you evaluate things properly and then we'll talk about, all right, how do you get along with people? How do you make it work if you feel like that's what God wants you to do? Amen? Y'all getting anything out of this? Good deal. Praise the Lord.